0: Well, let's open our Bibles together now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're actually going to be kind of basing ourselves out of two, two different sections from 1 Corinthians, one from here, chapter 10, and then again another place in chapter 11. And again, we are taking a short break from the book of Romans as we have been going through now for for over a year in the book of Romans, and for the summer, we are doing an eight-week series called Gospel Reset, refocusing ourselves as a church on what what it is that really matters, what it is that we are called to as a church, what it is that we ought to be rooting our identity in as a local congregation. What, What are those ways that we as Maple Grove Church can best honor the Lord together and be most effective for His kingdom? And so, as we have have been discussing these things, rooting our identity in in the right things, in the most important things. The last two Sundays, we've turned our attention now to corporate worship and and what it is that ought to be a part of our corporate worship. And we talked about worship through singing. Why do we sing the way we do? Why does it matter? About worship through preaching, why it is that we preach the way we do, Even, even why it is that... For the most part, we just work our way through books of Bible, word by word, line by line. Today now we turn our attention one more time to corporate worship as we discuss the Lord's Supper together. And uh, let me just say up front, I know that this has been a contentious issue in this church. Um, I know that we have had people leave the church over this direct issue, and I know that for some of you, perhaps in this room This remains an issue of contention, and so I know that going into this. Uh, And I would just ask you, especially if this is a contentious issue for you, that for the next 45 minutes together, uh, you hit the mute button on your inner lawyer, and we just hear from the Word of God on this topic. Amen? Good. I at least asked you to do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we're going to pick up in verse 16. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, hear the word of the Lord. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who ate of the sacrifices participants in the altar. Who do I imply then? That, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord for jeal- to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And now look over just one chapter to chapter 11. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about other things. I will give directions when I come. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your living, supernatural, inerrant word. Lord, thank you for this pure and good truth that you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit who applies the truth of your word to our lives, causing, Lord, by your word, through your spirit, even dead hearts to live, even blinded eyes to be given sight. So I pray, Lord, that you would accomplish your good work this morning through your word, by your spirit. Lord, that our hearts would be transformed. Lord, that you would call to salvation those who are dead in sin, that you would transform your people into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word. And I pray for myself as I proclaim your word, that the words of my mouth The meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, in this this passage that Paul is alluding to, where we see Jesus and his disciples gathered together for a Passover meal, Jesus gathers with them the night he is to be arrested, and he takes that Passover meal and he turns it into something entirely new. He took the bread and the cup of the Passover meal And he told the disciples a new covenant was coming through him. And so that the wine that they drank would now represent his blood that was about to be poured out for them. That The bread that they broke would now represent his body that was about to be broken for them. And Jesus told them to continue to do this, to continue to eat the bread and to drink the wine. To do this, he said, in remembrance of me. And so this night, Jesus instituted what would become a regular celebration in the Christian church. In the the first century, Christians celebrated the Lord's Supper every time they gathered together on the Lord's Day. But why is that? Why did did Jesus institute that? Why why did he command his followers to continue for all time to do this? Do we really need to have a little bread and a a little drink in order to remember him? Is that the only way we can remember him is, is by doing that? What is it about the Lord's Supper that is so essential that Jesus would command the church to observe it for all of history? Well, well, Paul's words here that we have just read together have a lot to tell us about that. And we don't have time to focus on everything that Paul says, but I want to highlight some of what he teaches here, what we see about the nature of the Lord's Supper, the essential nature of it from Paul's words. The first thing we see is that it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Look at verse 16 with me. The cup of of chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? So the Lord's Supper is a blessing from God. It's a gift from him. It is a means of his grace to us. The blessing isn't in the bread itself. The blessing isn't in the cup itself. Simply drinking from the cup or eating a little piece of bread doesn't bring God's blessing to anyone. It's not the elements themselves. Rather, it's it's the grace of God that comes through the gospel message that is presented by and with the elements when they are received by the Christian in faith. That's the blessing of God. This is a tangible, we can touch it, we can taste it, we can see it proclamation of the gospel, and that is a great gift, a great blessing. In the Lord's Supper, the blessing of God is being proclaimed. It's as if the Lord himself, when we come to this table, is standing before us saying, come, come and receive my blessing. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is what the Lord's Supper is. It's, it's a sign. It's, it's a covenant sign of all of these blessings that the Lord has given to us. That it's a covenant sign that God will fulfill every promise that he has made to us. And as we come to the table, God, by his Holy Spirit, confirms to us these promises. Reminds us of these promises assures us of the blessing of his redemption. That's the first thing we see in this passage here is that this is a blessing. Second, it's a communion. Look again, verse 16 of chapter 10. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This word participation in the Greek, koinonia, probably a Greek word that you've heard before. It means fellowship. And the King James is translated communion. We are being given access to the very heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's here at the table that we celebrate our communion with Christ, our, our fellowship with Him. It is a real sharing. In the blood of Christ, it is a real sharing in the body of Christ, not in the not in the Roman Catholic sense of transubstantiation, where the the bread turns into the real body of Christ and the blood turns or the drink turns into the real blood of Christ, so that Christ is physically present in the elements that we consume. That's blasphemous. We don't believe that. not, not even in the Lutheran sense of consubstantiation, where It's the spiritual body of Christ and the spiritual blood of Christ. But there is real communion with Christ going on here. When we come to this table, there is real, true communion with Christ that is happening. It's it's not just thinking about Jesus while I eat a bite of bread and take a drink from a little cup. There's something much more going on. We are really fellowshipping with him. That's what scripture tells us. Revelation chapter 3 verse twenty. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The the picture here as the Lord Jesus speaks these words is one of close fellowship, close communion, ultimately in the marriage supper of the Lamb. But we get a little foretaste of that union right now when we come to the table. That's what this is. It's a foretaste of this great feast that that we have been given. It is a holy, serious, joyous, eternal, supernatural occasion, and it is intended by God to actually do something. It's not just, a, it's not just that we, we do it and think good thoughts about Jesus. It's supernaturally powerful. It, it's meant by God to have a direct effect on his people, on our faith, on our lives one of the things it accomplishes is we're actually experiencing our union our our communion our fellowship with christ as we go on here verse 17 adds another dimension to this because there is one bread we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one bread the the lord's supper is a reminder of course of of the cross of christ and and it's at the cross of christ where we all find ourselves on equal footing don't we We're all needy sinners before the cross of Christ. At the foot of the cross, we are equally in need of grace from God. We are equally, though, Christians, recipients of salvation. A salvation we don't deserve. A salvation we could never earn. A salvation that none of us has done a single thing in our lives that puts us ahead of someone else in being deserving of this gift of God's grace. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we have been made one in Christ. Not, not, not just our union with Christ himself, which is mind-blowing and amazing, but because of our union with Christ, our union with one another. We've, we've been made one with each other. So, so what does that mean if that's true? Well, it means things like pride and boasting and arrogance and gossip and bitterness and dissension have absolutely no place in the church of Jesus Christ. That they are wholly out of bounds, wholly out of place, because we have been made one in the cross. So when, when you gossip about your brother and sister, you are hurting yourself. It's an insane thing to do. Our communion with him means we've been communi- given true communion with one another. and we come to this table, we're reminded of that. In chapter 11, Paul confronts the Corinthian church because of their lack of unity. He he says their selfishness and divisions, Paul says, are a despising of the church of God. That's a serious thing to say, but that's what he tells them. Your divisions in the church, your selfishness is a despising of the church of God. And so he tells them, even though they're partaking of the elements of the Lord's Supper, he says in chapter 11, verse 20, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you are eating. In other words, because of their sinfully selfish hearts, because of the envy, because of the divisions, because of the sin, because of the unworthiness of their hearts, the table has become for them an empty ritual. That's what Paul tells this church. Every Lord's Day, you gather together for worship, and you come to the table, but it is not the Lord's Supper you are participating in, because you despise the church of Christ. It's not communion with Christ. It's sin that was going on in the Corinthian church every time they came to the table. You see, it doesn't become empty ritual because you do it every week. It becomes empty ritual if you have sin in your heart, if you have arrogance in your heart, if you have pride in your heart. God forbid we would be like that. God forbid we would be a church full of divisions, full of slander, full of gossips, full of grumpiness towards one another of gracelessness towards one another. God forbid that Maple Grove would be that church. God grant that we would repent of our sin, our selfishness. It is totally out of place among God's people. Let me just tell you frankly, as your pastor who loves you, there are times that Maple Grove has been that church, and there are moments right now where Maple Grove is that church. God grant us repentance. God grant that we would be grieved by that. That we would turn from that. That we would flee from that. It's wicked. It's wicked. It must be repented of. There's one Lord. One faith. One baptism. We are one body. We possessed one spirit and here at this table we're reminded of that and we celebrate it. It's such a good gift that God has given us to to call us to be part of Maple Grove Church with one another. What a precious gift. What a precious thing. And we celebrate that as we come together. We celebrate our common eternal life, our oneness in the body of Christ, our call to spiritual unity, our love for one another. We're reminded and we celebrate that we're called to minister to one another, to humbly serve one another. We're reminded that we need to seek peace With one another and friends, we need these reminders. We need these reminders often. We're not different than the Corinthian church who needed these reminders. We need these reminders. And so the Lord's Supper is a means of his grace to us. It reminds us, it it confirms these things to us that, that we are united to Christ himself. And that because of that, we are united to one another in some spiritual way. The Lord has ordained this table, this meal, as a means to cause us to experience that communion. Third, it's holy. Look at verse 19. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? When we come to the Lord's table, our worship must be singular. You must consecrate yourself. There's no room here for mixed loyalties. Here at the table, we make a fresh commitment to the lordship of Jesus Christ in all things. We worship Christ and Christ alone. That's the statement we make when we come to this table week after week. That's what it means to consecrate ourselves. It's, it's to be set apart. That's what we do when, when we marry a person. We consecrate ourselves. We set ourselves apart. You can't marry a person and still pursue other people. That's not how that works. The the vows we take are forsaking all others, keeping myself only to you. This is what we're called to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Marriage is just a picture of that. That's what Paul tells us. Marriage is just a picture of Christ and his church. And, And Jesus is the first one to take the vows. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Ephesians 5 tells us that he has promised to present us to himself as a pure, spotless bride, holy and without blemish, recipients of eternal life and endless joy and bliss. It's Jesus who who takes the initiative and makes those first vows, and then we are asked to take the vows, to be joined with Christ, to keep ourselves only to him, And, and it's here by faith. We see him committing himself to us. That's, that's one of the proclamations of this table. It's the Lord Jesus committing himself to us, reaffirming his promises to us. And, and here, by faith, we commit ourselves to him. We worship Christ alone and at his table, at the, this holiest of places, we renew our covenant, remembering his promises and confessing our commitment to him alone as Lord. Fourth, then, it's a remembrance of Christ's work on the cross. Verse 23 of chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of of me. Now, it's not just a matter of us remembering Jesus. It's not just a matter of us thinking about Jesus when we come to the table. The act of communion, all of it, the bread, the cup, our coming together, that is the remembrance of Christ. It's that action that is the remembrance of Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verse 1, Paul says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, on one hand, Paul is talking about his preaching, that he, he preached Christ to them in such a way that it was, it was right before their eyes that Christ was portray, portrayed as crucified. But he's also speaking of the Lord's Supper, because in, in the Lord's Supper, the gospel of Christ is proclaimed. We are saying in communion to one another, look to Christ." and live, brother. Look to Christ and live, sister. That's what we proclaim. We proclaim it to ourselves. So the Lord's Supper is really a gospel ordinance. It preaches the gospel of what Christ has done, what he's accomplished in saving his people through his perfect sacrifice. And we remember his saving work on the cross, which includes not just his death for our sins, but his complete and total, decisive victory—not just over our sin, but in granting us eternal life, and also over Satan and hell and death—we proclaim that when we come to this table. Why else? What? What a morose thing if that's not true to come to the table and eat the bread and drink the blood, which or and drink the wine, which represent His body and blood. No, it's a—it's a pronouncement of victory. It's a pronouncement of triumph. This, this remembrance then produces certain fruit in us. Namely, what does it produce? It produces thankfulness in us. Doesn't it? I hope it does. It produces praise in us. It, it produces humility in us. We see God for who he is and we see ourselves for who we are in light of that and it causes us to worship him. And it doesn't just cause us to worship him, it's a means of worshiping him. God doesn't just care that we worship him, he cares how we worship him. And one of the ways he wants us to worship him is in this table right here. It produces worship, it's a means of worship. Fifth then, it's to be a regular part of corporate worship. Verse 26, continuing on in chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In verse 25, he said a similar thing. As often as you drink, do this in remembrance of me. Well, now Paul says here in verse 26, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup. So how often is often? That's that's the argument. That, That is the point of contention. The answer of how often often is, is often. That's how often often ought to be. Really though, Think about all the benefits we've been talking about so far. Think about what scripture reveals to us the benefits are. Why would we not want to come to this table as often as possible if that's really what it is? If that's really what's going on here. Why would we why would we not? Well, I'll tell you why we wouldn't. Tradition. That's the answer. There's only one answer. It's tradition and human reason. Friend, I'm sorry. If this is a point of contention for you, but that's the truth. Tradition and human reason. Because we didn't read anything in the Bible that would lead us to that conclusion. We simply didn't. Now, I don't mean New Testament tradition. I don't mean early church tradition. I mean a tradition that did not come from the Bible and a tradition that doesn't actually represent the New Testament church. The New Testament church was committed to sharing communion every Lord's Day together. We, we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the elements. This is the picture of New Testament churches, the early churches' worship. These are the things that they did every Lord's Day. In Acts chapter 20, it uses the Lord's Supper as a sort of so- shorthand way of speaking of corporate worship. Acts chapter 20 verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, prolonged his speech till midnight. The the way to describe the purpose of the church gathering together on the Lord's day was to speak of the breaking of bread in the Lord's supper together. So it's not just that it was normal for them to have the Lord's Supper together, it was the defining practice of the corporate worship of the early New Testament church. The defining practice. It was the reason they gathered together on the Lord's Day. I was talking to someone recently about the controversy that has gone on about observing the Lord's Supper weekly, and they said, why don't you just do it in the back room? Do it in the fellowship hall, and then it won't be an offense to people. And I said, because... This isn't a matter of preference. This is a matter of conviction. This was literally the centerpiece of the early church's corporate worship, so much that when they talked about gathering together for corporate worship, they just talked about communion. So we're not going to hide it in the back room in case you heard me say that and go like, that person had a good idea. I like this. It wasn't just a thing that they did. It was the thing that they did when the church gathered together. We can see also in the language just of the passage we're looking at this morning, the language here in 1 Corinthians presumes that the Lord's Supper is occurring every time the church gathers on the Lord's Day. He says on chapter 11, in chapter 11, verse 20, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Okay, So as he chastises them for their sin, he says every time you're gathering together, it's not the Lord's Supper because of the sin in your heart. These verses follow a statement Paul made in verse 18. When you come together as a church. So Paul says, when you come together as a church, and then right away he says, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So when they gathered together as the church, this was what they were doing. Paul makes it clear here. Every time you come together on the Lord's Day, that language is revealing that when the church gathered, they're partaking of the Lord's Supper every time. This practice continued through the early church. We know that this is what they were doing. This isn't speculation. We don't have the time whatsoever to go into all the references to it in in ancient writings, but this is what the early church did. The writings of the first and second century make it clear this was the practice of the early church. There's so much more that we could say about church history if we had the time. And like three of us would find it interesting probably. But the question is, what about us? What about Maple Grove Church? What about the many churches like ours? Why is there uneasiness about this? Why is there resistance to this? Why has there been such controversy about this here? What are the reasons for not wanting to do this every Lord's Day? And if it's if if you're struggling, I'm I'm asking you think about that right now. What are my reasons for being uneasy about this? What are my reasons for being unhappy about this? What are my reasons for being concerned about this? I know you've been thinking about it since the moment I started preaching, probably from the moment you saw in the bulletin what the topic of the sermon was today. So I don't need to give you a lot of time. But let me ask you to think about one more thing: Do those reasons come from the Bible? Any of the reasons you've been thinking about this morning, did it come from Scripture? If not, then it came from tradition and human reason. I don't have to be a mind reader to know what the concerns are. Taking communion every week will rob it of its significance. If we do it every week, it's not going to be special anymore. We are running the risk of this becoming a superficial ritual. And I want to say that these are good questions and they are reasonable questions. I know some of you still have those concerns, those exact concerns. But as good as these questions are, they do not come from the Bible. The Bible did not make you ask that question. That is not what led you to have that concern. They come from a tradition of, of having always done things a certain way and having never experienced or been exposed to something else. They're a product of our human understanding. Now, of course, it's possible for communion to become an empty ritual, but that happens no matter how often you observe it. That can happen doing it every week, or it can happen doing it four times a year. It can happen doing it one time a year. Paul told the Corinthians it was their sin that made it an empty ritual. He didn't tell them, stop doing this every Sunday. Can't you see how things have gone off the rails? He said, repent of your sin and come to the table rightly. The truth is, if you consider the essential biblical components of worship, there's only one of them we're concerned about doing every Lord's Day together. In the four and a half, closing in on five years I've been here, I have never heard of someone quitting the church because Jason insists on preaching every Sunday. Week after week after week, he just gets up and preaching, and it's not special anymore. Now, that part, maybe. <laughs> oh, At Maple Grove, you know what they do? They sing every week. They pray together every week. No, none of us are concerned about that. We would be concerned, wouldn't we, rightly, if we didn't do that? No, there, 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 there's one, j- just one component of biblical worship that we've said, now this one is different than all the other ones. This one we treat differently than all the other ones. We're not concerned with these other things that they'll lose significance. In fact, we say, come sit under the preaching of God's word week after week after week and see the compounding effect that this means of grace will have on your life. Don't we? Husbands, imagine if we tried that with our wives. I'll kiss you four times a year, honey, on special occasions. Anything more than that? I think I'll lose interest. It won't go well. That's what I'm saying to you. Don't actually try it. The the reality is these means of grace from God become more special. They become more meaningful. They become more effective, which is a better word, the more we partake of them. That's how the means of grace work. And And I actually hesitate to use words like special or meaningful because the other thing we never read in Scripture is that we're supposed to feel a certain way when we come to the table. We worry that it's not going to feel special anymore, and I don't remember ever reading anything in Scripture that told me it was supposed to feel special in the first place. It is special. It's a gift of God. It's a blessing. And it becomes more effective, just like all the other means of grace, the more we participate in it, the more we partake of it. And so, friends, ultimately, this is a gift of God to us, to bless us. It's not a matter for controversy. It's a gift. It's a good thing. Considering the benefits that we've already discussed, why would we not want more of this blessing in our lives? What possible reason could we have for not wanting it? Consider just a couple more benefits in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a proclamation of the gospel, verse 26 again. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The act of communion itself is a proclamation. As we come to the table, we are proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected to one another. The Lord's Supper is a is a picture of our taking the gospel into ourselves. Our our coming to the table together is is proclaiming to one another this glorious truth. It's an incredibly dramatic event with, with vivid, powerful imagery. What does it do to us if we understand this? One thing it does is create unbreakable bonds of unity between us. We're encouraged that we're not alone. As we proclaim the gospel to one another, it's one of the reasons for corporate worship that we sing to one another, encouraging one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's it's these elements of worship where we're reminded, I am not alone out here in this world. God's placed the lonely in families. And he has placed me in a family. It gives us assurance of our faith. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. He died for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? It is a proclamation of the gospel, a, a tangible, touchable, tasteable, visible proclamation of the gospel. Seven, it's, it's an anticipation. Verse 26, one more time. For As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. This is a foretaste. It's an appetizer, it's an hors d'oeuvre of the great feast that is to come, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's it's, it's a reminder that although we truly know God, we we know God because He has given us His Spirit, He has given us His Word. How glorious is that? That God has given us His very own Word and, and that His Spirit, the third person of the triune Godhead, dwells in us. That is glorious, but this table reminds us that although we do truly, really know him, we only know in part there is much, much more coming. There is much greater glory coming. Our knowing him right now, although it is true knowing, it is real knowing, our knowing him right now is just little bits of bread and little sips of juice. But there is a feast coming, a lavish, bountiful feast when we will know him fully, we will see him face to face, and we long for that day. We look for that day, and the Lord's Supper proclaims to us, that day is coming. Finally, then it's purifying, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let that person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. The Lord's Supper is, is purifying because it calls for, it, it demands self-examination. There's something supernatural that's that's going on here and Paul says to eat and drink in an unworthy manner will lead to judgment from God, even sickness and death. That's how we know that when we come to this table, there's something more going on than just eating a little bread, drinking from a little cup and thinking thoughts about Jesus. There's something supernatural happening here. Now this doesn't imply that some people are better than other people. It doesn't imply some are worthy and some are not. What does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? Well, the truth is none of us are worthy. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the gospel. That's the whole point of the Lord's Supper. We, we all need the righteousness of Christ, his sinless life. In our place, his substitutionary death, absorbing the wrath that we deserve because of our sin. We need all of that applied to us because our righteousness, which is filthy rags, could never amount to anything. It could never save us. And yet this ordinance is for Christians only. It is given only to the church. It's given only to Christians. And we must examine ourselves. Am I ready to receive the Lord's Supper? What does Paul mean when he says to to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? He means to do so impenitently, without repentance. To refuse to deny yourself, to refuse to take up your cross and follow Jesus in obedience to his word. And to participate in the Lord's Supper in a condition like that is a form of gross hypocrisy. And it actually hardens your heart. That's what Paul was telling the Corinthians. Instead of being a means of grace to soften our hearts and grow our faith, cause us to live in in greater obedience to the Lordship of Christ, becomes a means of judgment. And our faith shrivels. And our heart hardens. This table is for repenting sinners. On the other hand, people have used this this very verse in very unhelpful ways, and and communion is treated as some sort of overly introspective act. We, We focus on our sin more than we focus on Jesus. We focus on the death of Christ as if it was the greatest tragedy that ever happened. The tone is so somber, it's almost depressing, and the joy of salvation is nowhere to be found. But all the while, There stands this table. The the gospel has been proclaimed in the preaching of the word. The, The good news of Jesus Christ living, dying, raising for sinners. The good news of salvation offered as a free gift of God's grace for all who will come. The gospel has been preached And now it's being visibly proclaimed in the Lord's Supper. That's the invitation that stands before us. Come. Come and receive the blessing from God. Come. Come and have your faith strengthened. Come and be reminded of your union with Christ. Come knowing that Christ Jesus died for sinners and that if you will come in repentance and faith, He will have you. He will not throw you away. That you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. That you can turn from your sin. And God will look on, on the righteousness of His Son instead of your unrighteousness. Come and confess Him again as Lord. Consecrate your life to worship Christ alone. Come knowing that the eternal promises of God will stand. All of the glories that we experience in this life are just a foretaste of the glory to come when we will see him face to face. These are the things the supper proclaims to us. Robert Bruce, the 16th century Scottish preacher said, we don't get a better Christ in the Lord's table than we do in the preaching of the word, but we may get the same Christ better. In other words, when you have the same Christ preached in the word and then the same Christ preached in the Lord's table where you can see and you can touch and you can feel these gospel truths that have been proclaimed in the preaching of the word, it causes us to have a firmer grasp on his grace. It causes us to have a fuller experience of his love, a surer assurance of salvation, a deeper Devotion to one another, a greater love for a higher worship of our saving God, this is a gift to us. It is a kind gift from God. It ought to lead us to humility and thankfulness and worship. And it itself is a means of worshiping God that He is pleased with. How kind God has been to us to give us His church and to give us this gift, this reminder, this proclamation. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this gift that you have given us of salvation. Thank you for the gift of corporate worship where we gather together with the saints of God, our brothers and sisters, to worship you, the Almighty God, our Father. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the preaching of your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather together to sing great truths of who you are, to encourage one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to pray together knowing that you are God, who are enthroned on the praises of your people, hear our cries. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship you have given us with one another, gifts to one another, brothers and sisters. Thank you for the gifts that you have given each member of this church. Lord, you have given to us precisely what we need. We rejoice in every person, Lord, that you have have sent to us as a gift of kindness to this church. And we rejoice, Lord, in this table, in this reminder, in this worship, this means of your grace to us. I pray, God, that You would, by means of of all of these gifts that you have given to us, grow our faithfulness, grow our faith. Cause us to be faithful and fruitful for your kingdom in this earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.